Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And today we seek to be of one mind with Christ in matters of free will. Do we have it? Do we not have it? Do we have a bound will? Do we? I mean, we're going to sort all of this out on the show today. And in order to do that, we have our full cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians here in studio with us today to work us work our way through this issue of the free will. And so, to introduce that cohort, it is Pastor Peter Hill, Pastor Merritt Dembski, and layman Peter Slayton, and myself as your host, Pastor Sean Smith. And a reminder that we are a call-in show. You can ask your questions. You can find us on social media, email us, and things like that. Uh, the call-in number is 1-800-730-2727. Social media at KFO Radio, is it? I think yes, little help is. here. Thanks. And I forget okay, the email. This is your first day on the show. I'm, so. I'm busy <laughs> posting on social media, so I can't answer that question. I'm yeah, distracted. You're our social media guy for the LCMS. <laughs> and so uh, Peter's and here, but he's not here. <laughs> it's a problem of Which our generation of is we get so distracted. We use our free will poorly, I might say. See, see I'm trying to save our show now. Okay. Because we're already coming off the rails. It's hey, never a, a good thing. And KFO.org is the email. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, thanks for the help on that. All right. Uh, so on this matter of free will, uh, before we we're beginning a new article, we covered the article, um, last week on Christ's return for judgment. And so now we're, we're getting into free will. And this is article 18 of, of the, the apology, apology of the Augsburg Confession. Augsburg Confession, absolutely. Uh, but we always like to, when we start a new article, do a little setup of what we're going to do there. And so for that, I'm going to throw that to Pastor Peter Ill to kind of give us a little intro. What, what are we talking about with this matter of free will? So free will is a really confusing and sometimes conflicted topic where uh, people will go back and forth and you can have some big, nasty church fights about it if you want to. But that's not just today. That's been going on well, really since the, uh, since the 300s. And so on the one hand, there's a chance of saying that uh, there is uh, everybody's will is figured out and it's all planned beforehand. Uh, God is all powerful and almighty and all knowing and has all things figured out. And so there's just there's only room for this kind of fatalism where everything that is ever going to happen is already fixed and the world is just kind of running like a well-oiled machine, according to God's knowledge and will. Uh and on the other side, you have people who say that people's uh, free will is completely and totally neutral, where people aren't good, nor are they bad. They can choose to be good or bad. Uh, they can't choose to be both, but they have a complete and total choice in that matter. And there are uh, some who talk about the complete and total 
bound will. There are others who talk about uh, the choice that you may have, or uh, they'll sometimes say, well, God does most of the work, but but you really have to do just one more little thing in order to complete God's work and to make it personal and real for you. Uh, and for the most part, in our discussion of free will today, the Lutheran churches and the Roman Catholic churches of the 1500s really agreed on most of this with one pretty significant exception. And so when we get there, I know we'll want to probably stop and uh, have a cup of coffee and talk it over. But uh, until then, I think uh, the the Lutheran church and the Roman Catholic church is, uh, for the most part, in our formal confessions, in agreement. Okay, so I, I like what you said there to start us off too. That this this isn't something that's you know just it's been a one time issue. It, it really does continue to be an issue still today. We continue to have these discussions still today. It was a big discussion then. It's it's going to go on for a few pages. Probably next week's group uh, will also have to deal with at least part of this here and so forth. Um, and and we're going to see where this this is connected with. Um, things that we've talked at length on this show about over the last couple years, uh, and as we've accented with those as well, it, it's always connected with a right diagnosis. What What is sin? And then the next article is the cause of sin, so this is a related issue. And then that article on justification, uh, the, the article in which the church stands and falls, and we spent like a year talking about that article uh, of our Christian faith. And so these these are all connected issues to this this topic that has continued to be well debated. Now, I'm interested if you could, if I could push back a little bit more, kind of play the host kind of role here for for like once in my life. Um, Talk a little more about what you mean by, for the most part, we're in agreement uh, with them, at least at the start here on free will, because it seems like if you read just the Augsburg Confession, the Confutation, and then you see that we have a fairly decent response to them uh, in the Confutation, that maybe there's not so much agreement there. So so at least articulate a little more what you mean by the agreement that we have. Uh, the, the summary of our agreement is we say that there is... Uh, that people have free will of the things that are below them or of things that are going on in this world, uh, say, where I'm going to go to college and uh, who I'm going to marry and what I'm going to have for lunch, if I'm going to put cream in my coffee. I have places to make choices there. But when it comes to salvation, those things that are from above, which is namely and, and really exclusively salvation, there I don't have free will. And up to that point, the Lutheran Church and the Roman Catholic Church agree. But up to the point of the up, the things above. Up to the point okay. of the things above. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the next part that I'm going to say is something the Roman Catholic Church says that we in the Lutheran Church don't say, and they say that it is possible to do good works, even good works that uh, bring along with them forgiveness of sins, without faith. And that you can do good things without faith. And to that we say, no, we are completely and totally messed up and screwed up by sin. uh, And therefore, 
we can't do a, any good thing without faith. The only thing that, the only way that a Christian does anything good is through faith. Namely, Christ fills us, and it is Christ who does the good in us because by ourselves we can't. Uh, thinking all the way back to Article 2 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, we used the word concupiscence. That concupiscence uh, of being tainted by sin and the infectious nature of our original sin is what shows everything that we do touch and think about apart from Christ to be sinful. And so the Roman Catholics will say that concupiscence isn't in and of itself sinful and we say it that we are. So they say, well, yeah, you can have a good work without faith in Christ. And to that we say, no, no, you really can't. And so you can't make any good decision apart from faith in Christ. Yeah, and it's going to confuse kind of these things above and things below. And, and that's why I want this to, to kind of lay out. I think sometimes it's helpful to have that kind of bird's eye map view of where we're going. And so then as we dig into it and we read through it and we see the words there and so forth, we don't get lost in where we're going there. So I think that's a good setup for that. So thank you. Uh, Layman Slate. Yeah, I think the, the terminology is really important as we're, as we're going through this because even within this article, it seems like the term free will is used slightly differently as, as we move through it. And then we throw in the, the, the different kinds of righteousness that are talked about, and it kind of compares them or conflates them with this free will. And so we have to be careful as we're going through this, how is free will being used here? And something that, that always comes up for me as I think about this is the fact that I'm also an American, a United States citizen. I, I was born in and live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. To paraphrase, was that our national anthem? I'm a bad American if I can't even remember that. America. Um, but, but the, yeah, there we go. Yeah. But this whole idea of, of freedom, of being free, in our particular American context has some very specific connotations to it, especially, you know, over and above, you know, submission to other authorities. You know, I submit to no one. I'm underneath no one. I am free. Uh, you add in free speech and freedom of religion and all those other different things. When we say the word free, even attaching it to free will in the English language, in the American context, we do have to be very careful that we're talking about it in the same way, or understanding it actually is a better way of, of phrasing it, understanding it in the same way as the confessors are here, because when they say free will, the word free doesn't carry the same connotations that it does for us. And so I think as we go through, we'll probably end up unpacking some of that as well. Well, and as we even find in uh, secular society, American society, and so forth, that free doesn't even mean what we think it means, right? We have to really diagnose what yeah. it, we mean by that. And <laughs> that's a show for another station. We're all about the uh, the right-hand realm here. Well, not really all about. We, we certainly talk about the left-hand realm and civil matters as they pertain to uh, the living out of our faith as well. And so it's not like we shy away from it. But uh, yeah, d definitely, we're going to dig into these words here. And, and what is it we're talking about when we talk about free will? What, what does it mean to confess that uh, as Christians. Uh, Pastor Dembski, you've just been sitting here staring at everybody talk. Do you have anything to add and set up before we before we jump in? Well, the only thing that really strikes me is uh, as we talk about this and the, the Roman Catholic idea that you can do things to uh, earn salvation or to do meritorious things, you know, I think about that, that video that went viral a couple months ago now of the Pope talking to a little boy whose father had passed away. I don't know if you saw it 
or yeah, uh, I saw that one. Okay, uh, the, I this, do live on Facebook. Okay, that is true. You do. <laughs> um, hey, you don't have your phone in your hand. This is impressive. I set it aside. Oh wow, I can nice. do that. But anyway, I have the, free the point. Will. The point here being that's that, a below matter. <laughs> yes. The Let's point be being specific. that in this uh, this exchange, this little boy comes up. The Pope's addressing <laughs> these people, and he talks to the Pope about how his father died, and he doesn't know if he was a Christian. And so the Pope addresses the people and says, "Well, you know what? His father." did some good things and he lived a good life do we think god would send him to hell for you know not uh believing in jesus even though he did all these great things and everyone's like no no of course not it's like yeah exactly so go take that comfort and have that peace you know and sends the boy kind of away to sit down and there was many people like oh i'm so glad he handled that so well and he he brought that comfort and it's like he just proclaimed works righteousness he just said, well, your father did nice things. He didn't know Jesus. Now, of course, like we do have to handle those situations in a pastoral, caring, loving way, but not by saying, uh, let's evaluate how he lived and what he did and maybe he saved, you know, like that kind of thing. And so we see that still active today that it's not like, uh, yeah, 500 years ago, that was the way it was. But no, that's that's still how people talk and act today, even if they're not thinking about that being the case. Yeah, and that's the real crushing thing is we're afraid to let the law crush as it should, right? And yeah, you're right. We do need to handle those pastorally, but handling it pastorally is not giving comfort. I mean, it's it's the prophet Jeremiah, comfort, comfort when there is no comfort, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, you know, we need to... We need to handle things faithfully and honestly. And you're right, that does proclaim a works righteousness, which is very much connected with this issue as well. As a matter of fact, in just two articles, that article is all about good works. So we're going to see how the the apology continues to build this statement of what we confess Scripture teaches us about all these things. They all really are interconnected. But let's go ahead and dig in then to the actual article itself and, and lay some more groundwork and talk about words and what they mean uh, so that we know what we mean when we talk about free will. All right. Beginning with uh, paragraph 67 of Article 18 of Free Will. The adversaries accept Article 18, Free Will, although they add some references having nothing to do with this case. They also add a speech that neither should the free will be granted too much, like the Pelagians, nor should all freedom be denied, denied it, like the Manichaeans. Very well. But what difference is there between the Pelagians and our adversaries, since both hold that people can love God and perform his commandments with respect to the substance of the acts and can merit grace and justification by works that reason performs by itself without the Holy Spirit? How many foolish things follow from these Pelagian opinions, which are taught with great authority in the schools? Augustine, following Paul, disproves of these with great emphasis. We have repeated his opinion in the article justification so again they're laying out that this is all connected to that article on justification and the pelagians and the manichaeans they came up in that article of justification again but for the term of defining our our terms here pastor Dembski, go ahead and, and define those terms for us so you had the one side of the spectrum, the Pelagians, who were uh, all about that, that free will or that neutrality, that you can make these decisions and you can you can choose how you're going to behave type of thing. And then you get the Manichaeans that's that other side of the spectrum that were just puppets, that God has ordained everything and done everything already. And and so we, we have a tight, uh, tight rope to walk that we don't confess that we are puppets, but we also don't confess that we have this 100% neutral free will that we can do whatever we want but you've got those two ends of the two ends of the spectrum that are um are uh, discussing the topic 
And I think one of the things that is really important here is the confusion of what's from above and what's from below. So the Manichaeans would say, those are the ones who think kind of fatalistically or think kind of in the the puppet master way. They would say that everything above and below is fixed. And not only do you not have uh, anything to contribute to your own salvation, but you also don't have a whole lot to contribute to your choices as far as where you go to school and who you marry and where you work and all of those things either. If you go to the wrong college, you could break the universe type thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I've done it before. <laughs> okay. Uh, but on the other side, you have the position of the Pelagians. And notice here that Melanchthon also says the Roman Catholics are falling on this side of the uh, on this side of the equation where they put your ability above and below all within your free will. So not only can you choose where to go to school and who to marry and what job to do, but also you can do things that merit and earn your forgiveness apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And the the way that Melanchthon and the other apologists talk is to say, whoa, 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 everybody slow down. There are some places where we do have free will, those things that are below us. But when it comes to our salvation, we don't have free will. It is the Holy Spirit who calls us to faith. It is the Holy Spirit who draws us to Jesus. And we aren't being puppet mastered. But also, we have nothing to contribute to our salvation. You know, it's kind of funny because we've talked the last couple of weeks that many of the arguments, the last couple of weeks anyway, have been mainly in agreement and just a restatement of that agreement and to further separate the opposite side of the spectrum. And here it's kind of funny because it's like, okay, we do agree on stuff, but here's where we don't agree and we disagree with both sides for the exact same reason, but they're using different terminology. You know, so it's like you've got the uh, the 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 Roman Catholic saying, "Okay, we uh, we can earn, we can do meritorious works and earn God's love and salvation." And you've got the other side that's like, "Yep, we've got free will that we can do things and earn our salvation." You know, like, and yet it, it's different terminology; it's a different framework of thinking. Yet both of them have that same root of the freedom of the will to do these things. It's the same error on different sides. Mm-hmm. So since we're we're defining kind of our terms on the two different sides. I have a question from Timothy, who's listening in Kansas, who says, is there such a thing as morally neutral? Like, can somebody... It, well, let me, let me... Sorry, pull up the question again really quick. Make sure I phrase it properly. Yeah. Is there any such thing as being morally neutral? According to the Pelagians, they would say there is. But according to scripture and according to what we believe, teach and confess, the answer is no. Uh, just like the Psalms confess that uh, in sin did my mother conceive me from the very moment of our conception, we are broken, sinful people and we are not morally neutral at all. We are indeed evil and wicked and corrupt aside from the grace of Jesus Christ, which has restored us not to neutrality, but to righteousness and to goodness. I think you mentioned concupiscence a I little did. bit ago. I, I mean, that, that's that's kind of the, by definition, no human being can make any sort of morally neutral act or decision or anything be, because of concupiscence. I mean, it's sin taints everything. And if we ultimately dig into every decision and think to the basest level of it, we're going to find sin. 
We're yeah. going to find a selfish motive. We're going to find something that's about us. We're going to find, you know, and so that's that's very true. We want to think, oh, I did this totally just spur of the moment. No, you were still did it for X, Y, Z reason, even if you didn't think about it being for those reasons. Yeah, I think um, even that connects in with Luther's uh, phrase where he, he talks about this in all of his writings and so forth, but where he talks about even his best works are tainted with sin, right? You know, he, he has this understanding of our, our absolute depravity in our sinful nature, um, that there is no moral neutrality in that sense. We, we are evil and we are wicked and we have but one cure for that wickedness. And that is the grace of Christ, which we find in the word and the sacraments and so forth. And all these things really do tie together. One other thought I want to bring out of here is that they, they, they list in here that our adversaries are essentially the Pelagians. All right. I think, you know, later in the formula of Concord, you start to see a term that's called semi-Pelagians um, that, uh, you know, maybe they might rewrite this, you know, I know it's the unaltered Augsburg Confession, so we're not going to rewrite things, you know, but, and this is the apology anyway, but, uh, you know, they, they might call them semi-Pelagians, which, which is kind of, you know, God begins it, but I finish it is semi-Pelagianism and so forth. And that's definitely, we've talked about this on the show many times that this is kind of the Roman error in a whole lot of these thoughts is that, uh, you know, th- for them, they, they say, you know, God has made it possible for us, we just have to do our part. We have to pick up on the end and so forth. The other thing that I want to, it's not listed here, but I would say we definitely see, and I think you were starting to joke about it a little bit there, Layton and Slayton, uh, <laughs> about, you know, you've made that mistake and things like that. But I, I, I see it, especially in American evangelicalism, this Manichaean idea running rampant out there. I, I remember I even had a roommate in college who, you know, you know, what, what is God's will? What candy bar does he want me to have a Snickers or a Milky way? And it's like, okay, <laughs> this is like, God is not controlling what, what candy bar you are to eat. Right. Um, and, and I think a lot of people really struggle with this too. And so I think, you know, having an understanding of, you know, what are we talking about in matters of, you know, the vertical righteousness of God or the horizontal righteousness of God, the things above or the things below, um, you know, and, and there I might come back and say in terms of a moral neutrality, um, we talk about issues, especially in the civil realm and so forth, things of prudential judgment, right, uh, where God hasn't given us the best economic system to have for a, a government and so forth like that. He hasn't spelled that in, out in Scripture. And so we can use our reason and all our senses, those first article gifts that we are given, and we can arrive at two different opinions about you know what may be best for terms of having a right economy and so forth like that. So we can have some neutrality. Now, again, we have to diagnose all these words and what do we mean by moral are we talking about absolute morality uh which is when lutherans talk about it tends to be you know god has established what morality is and so that's not neutral right um but uh in terms of a civil sense of morality as we even will talk about at times and so forth there can be these matters of prudential judgment that we disagree on and so forth so anybody want to kind of pick up on either of those ideas that i threw out there just the fact that it is such a load off one's shoulders when they get away from that Manichaean perspective that, uh, and, and even though that terminology again, isn't used ultimately when you get into many of the churches that are teaching, like finding your dreams or God's purpose for you or your destiny, you know, like all those kind of things, like it's laid out there, but you got to make sure that you're praying hard enough to hear God's voice, tell you that this is what you're specifically supposed to do. 
Well, that's a lot of insecurity. That's a lot of unsurety. And it gets you totally away from the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, going on with your life to do what you're going to do. And that was the the first time I really heard this discussed was in one of the systems classes at seminary with Dr. Bierman. And he made that point that you're not going to break the universe by going to different college you know if you know one is a a party school that's probably going to lead you away and there's no church life there and there's another one that's a good school and has a good church life all this kind of stuff then there's a better decision there if you got two good schools two options okay go to one of them you know like to to play into all this but uh so oftentimes uh there's a whole theology built around trying to determine god's will and word for your life yeah, love God, love others, right? Like, it's it's actually much easier. With about but, one minute left. Well, I think the difficult part of this conversation in our current American context as Lutherans is that we actually have kind of what a, a middle way, a different way of looking at this entirely, which we're going to start getting into here more. But growing up in the American evangelical context, the only two options are what we're calling the Pelagian or the Manichaean options. I mean, that's that's really all that's taught. And I think largely that's because those are the two most reasonable, air quotes, reasonable, rational options. It's, it's got to be one of those two if you're going to reconcile all this together and make it fit and make it make sense and have it be reasonable. Those are your only two options that are really available to you. So like like marriage, when I was first exposed to this whole thing, this whole conversation is actually very difficult to have because I'm walking into this with the the mindset of it's only these two things. Which one are the Lutherans going to go with? Because these are the only two options. There's nothing else out there other than these two. Whereas we actually distinguish the things above from the things below. And there is a place where in the next thing that we're going to talk about is how we do not deny the freedom of the human will. So that's where we'll go right after the break. You have the freedom to not come back, but I wouldn't recommend it. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Life moves pretty fast. One way or the other, it's pretty much guaranteed to pass you by. Missing out on a spelling bee or a softball game is bad enough, but what happens when you and your family miss out on God's Word? That's why we're here, reminding you every step of the way that the Word of God is not about what you do, but about what Jesus has done for you. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. 
morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. the early 19th century, the use of child labor had become a grossly negative outcome of the Industrial Revolution. Children of the poor, left uneducated, spent six days of the week working long hours in factories. It was in response to these conditions that a number of philanthropists and educators established the Sunday School movement in the 1780s in England. Included in that number was Sarah Trimmer, who became an influential figure in literature for children. She advocated using the Bible to teach both children and adults how to read by copying passages from the Bible, a controversial view at the time. In 1805, she wrote, Help to the unlearned in the study of the Holy Scriptures. It was to help the literate adults with little leisure time understand the Bible. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And I'm so glad you exercised your free will to come on back after the break with us as we continue to take a look at the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 18 of Free Will. And we were just discussing before the break kind of uh, the, the laying out of this article what it's talking about and, and how Lutherans kind of talk about this in a different way. And, 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 uh, Layman Slayton, uh, established really well for us that sometimes the temptation is to think that it's, it's one of two options, either that what we talked about is the Pelagian error or the Manichaean error. And, and really what it is is a confusion of things above with things below the vertical righteousness, the vertical relationship with God or the horizontal righteousness, that horizontal relationship as we have in the civil realm, this earth temporal matters and so forth and so where it goes very next is is to talk about how we don't deny this other end of it right so i'm going to just pick up there and read a paragraph uh, with paragraph 70 we do not deny freedom to the human will the human will has freedom in the choice of works and things that reason understands by itself to a certain extent reason can display public righteousness or the righteousness of works it can speak of god offer to God a certain service by outward work, and obey public officials and parents. In choosing an outward work, it can hold back the hand from murder, adultery, and theft. Because human nature has been left with reason and judgment about objects subjected to the senses, choice between these things, the liberty and power to produce public righteousness, are also left. Scripture calls this the righteousness of the flesh, which is the carnal nature, that is, reason, produces by itself without the Holy Spirit. However, the power of lustful desire is such that people more often obey evil inclinations than sound judgment. The devil, who is powerful in the godless, does not cease to stir up this weak nature to various offenses, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.2. 2. For this for these reasons, even public righteousness is rare among people. Not even the philosophers who seem to have hoped for this righteousness achieved it. All right, we're going to go ahead and pause there. Why, why is it important that we don't deny that there is this freedom of the human will in terms of the, the earthly matters, the things that are below? Why is it important that we maintain that? I'll, I'll give that a shot. I don't know if it's important 
for the sake of maintaining that those things we are free but it's important in order to distinguish that in things of, of salvation these things of above we are not free so it's not that we need to maintain that i can choose or not choose to drink my coffee for the sake of me being able to say i can choose or not choose my to drink my coffee we maintain it for the sake of distinguishing choosing to drink or not drink my coffee is not an issue of salvation these these things that are issues of salvation my standing before god uh, my right relationship with god in christ i do not have freedom or will in those things so that that's my first stab at it I also really think it's important to note that the apology of the Augsburg Confession here is really worded very carefully, mm, yeah. uh, where he talks about how this freedom of the will is in our outward works. He isn't saying that our outward decisions and the things that we do are without sin. He simply says that before other people, uh, we can stop the outward things, but within us, we still are slaves of our sinful nature, and the devil continues to work to stir this up within us. And so, all of these from below, he's not talking in the categories of sin and righteousness. He's simply saying... You're free to go to this school or that school. You're free to be a garbage man or a professional soccer player um, or lots of other things, I hope. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I hope that's not a spectrum right there. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, I'm okay <laughs> with that spectrum. I mean, that's good. Soccer's awesome. It is. Uh, uh, but I'm anyway, un-American in that, apparently. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> it's, it's the public outward work. And I think that talking a little bit about what we call the two kinds of righteousness. Righteousness before the world and righteousness before God is really important. And in our freedom of the will, uh, such as it is, we have some freedom in what we do before other people. But what we do um, in God's eyes, we don't have freedom in. And that's the from above category that we'll get into a little bit later, I think. Well, I was going to say that uh, when we look at Romans 1, we hear that that we have this natural law in our heart that's covered over, you know, by sin, but that uh, we have uh, the law written on our hearts. So it's it's shouldn't be surprising that someone who is uh, uh, has never heard of Christ could still do a nice thing for someone, you know. And yet, if we read a couple more verses, uh, a couple more uh, sentences down, I'm just going to read one quick sentence for without the Holy Spirit, human hearts lack the fear of God and gets into the fact that, yeah. And as uh, pastor Ill said about the, the outward works, you know, that someone can give food to a hungry person on the street that doesn't make them a Christian. And why is that? Because what is inward is still the problem. What is from above those connect, the, the connection is not there. And so, um, uh, we see that it, it shouldn't be surprising that we uphold this, that, yeah, I can see, a total godless individual do a nice thing, but that doesn't mean that they're saved. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is there, that they have done this um, uh, according to faith. You know, as uh, Paul says, anything apart from faith is sin, you know, so. Yeah, I think drawing together what, what all of you guys are saying, this is this is a really important idea because it, it is to distinguish uh, what it, it would seem like the Roman Catholic Church doesn't see and understand. And I would say is still kind of, 
a large part of the debate still today over this matter is that there's a distinction there between before God and before the world. And, and we continually fall into the struggle. You mentioned the, the, apparently it was viral, but maybe I'm just too far off the grid that I never saw the video. I don't know what you're talking about, but about the Pope, uh, talking to, uh, to the boy about his father and so forth. But I have seen this pastorally, right? You know, someone who has fallen away from the word and the sacraments and has shown no signs of faith, right? But, Everybody wants to point to when they die and pass away, right? You know, all the good things that they did, right? Well, we have to understand that before God, Scripture declares there that all of us, by our very nature, are dead in our trespasses. So we got to wrestle with that. And yet at the same time, I can acknowledge that there are those who show no faith, who have no faith even, right? Who are open despisers of it and yet do very good things. And this is where the temptation is without a right understanding of these these kind of two relationships going on here, right? Is that we'll look to the earthly things and say, oh, well, clearly this was signs of something, right? That They might even call it a fruits of faith, which we would as well for those who have faith. But absent the faith, it's just fruits of nothing, really. And, and actually, Scripture would say... It, it damns them even more because they're finding their trust, they're finding their hope in those things that actually give them no hope. It is only perfect righteousness. And so often, you know, not in the moment of grief because it's just not helpful and so forth. But as you wrestle through these things, I say, you know, it sounds like you're counting on all these good things that they did, but let's put it on a scale here. How many things can we weigh up on the other side and, and see where this weighs out? Because, and, and just by virtue of saying, you know, you kind of have a scale going on there. It makes us very uncomfortable because we all know how it ends up, right? Is that we don't have enough righteousness to save ourselves. And so we have to, we have to reckon with, you know, these distinctions of the relationships. Well, and and that phrase, rest in peace, you know, we want to apply Mm -hmm. that to every single situation. It's like, well, to everything you were just saying, you know, like, uh, we, we don't, we use that specifically because in Christ we can rest in peace, you know, without putting our faith and hope in things that we've done. But also, um, when we acknowledge the fact that non-Christian people, unregenerated sinners can do a nice thing, then we don't look and make the, the claim for the church and the call of the, uh, the, the, the marketing ploy, let's say, of the church. Hey, come here because we do nice things and that's why you come to church is because we'll do nice things and we'll care about you. Well, that should be happening. But what we give is forgiveness of sins. What we have is the true word of Christ, the the living bread, the word and sacrament, that that gives life. And as a result of those things, we should be loving others. We should find community and fellowship and, and care for one another. But when we skip out on the the first part of that the forgiveness and what we actually are giving to people i found this just last week right in my sermon just trying to make sure that i was articulating this right that we're that we're not saying here's why you come to church because we've got loving people who do nice things you can go to a lot of places that have very nice people you can go to cheers where everyone knows your name right 
But that's not the church. We've actually got forgiveness of sins in Christ and true peace that passes all understanding, right? Yeah. yeah. I follow the one-year lectionary, and so we had the uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector uh, as our gospel text, and I preached on that. And I had, I, I my whole sermon was about this, and I said, if it's just about doing the right things, the Pharisee's there. But what does Jesus say about him? He doesn't go home justified. Right. And so, this, mm-hmm. I mean, let's let Jesus speak about this matter. And so, again, we can recognize that there are these these good things. And then it also helps us understand our role, as we talked before, and this flows forth from political order and things like that, that, you know, I don't need a Christian. I, I might prefer it. I might desire it. But I don't need a Christian in the political realm and so forth. Uh, what I need is a just person. Right. Uh, and hopefully that would be a Christian that, that understands things rightly and is living, you know, righteously. Uh, but, uh, you know, what I need is a just person who's going to do a good job. And that may not be a Christian uh, in that sense. Well, I, th- I think it's important for us to or to point out here, too, that as Lutherans, you know, we're very carefully making these distinctions, the Pelagians, the Manichaeans, free will, all, all this kind of stuff. We're spending a lot of time really trying to drill down into what exactly are these distinctions. And we always get accused, sometimes rightfully so, of, of over-intellectualizing the faith or of just arguing about minutia. But as we've just heard in the last 15 minutes, the central message the central point of all this is that that justification who are we going to trust where is our trust found now further on here it actually there's there's a little bit more that actually doesn't use the word trust but it's getting at trust but i i think it's important to remember okay why does this matter why do we care so much about this free will and the distinction above and below well who are the pelagians trusting if you hold to the pelagian view where is your trust it's in your own will, in your own decision. Uh, for the Manichaeans, where is their trust? Well, actually, that's, it's kind of like a hopeless position where there is no trust to be found anywhere because it's all at the whim of, of, a, of a distant God who's predetermined all of this. And in both of those ways of viewing this, there, there is no trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so the article here rightly brings it back to justification, mentions it a couple times. And the reason we Lutherans care about this is because we recognize, look, this is a matter of trust. What do I trust? Where is my trust? How do I trust in Christ? How is that different from these two perspectives on on the will that we're saying are wrong? Well, what is the, the right perspective on the will that points me to trusting only in Christ and what he's done. I I think the other connected with that idea, the other reason to maintain this confession that we have the freedom in terms of these earthly matters is because there are so many things that we do have to decide in our earthly life that fall under what we call Christian freedom. Luther writes a whole work on this, right? Uh, You know, who we marry, right? Where I go to school, what candy bar I eat, you know, I'm now giving ridiculous What examples. kind of toothpaste I use. Yeah, different things that well, we make this right kind, obviously. But, yeah. but to bring it back to this idea here, right, you know, is that, you know, if we have the Pelagian or the Manichaean error on either end, it is a matter of trust, right? You know, so if if I have a Pelagian error, then I, I'm, I'm stuck with, well, I need to make the right decision so that I'm saved, because if I marry the wrong person, then that could affect my eternal salvation, right? And this sounds somewhat ridiculous, but there's definitely people that that struggle with that line of thinking. 
And as I said earlier, I think a broad American evangelical Christianity uh, struggles with the Manichaean error, right? You know, which is they get so locked up in, you know, what what is the decision that God wants, wants me to make? Because I don't want to go against his will. Right. And so then it can be just as, um, you know, uh, what, you know, paralyzing. That's the word I'm looking for. Sorry, my brain stopped working for about two seconds. It was paralyzed. Uh, yeah, it was. Par- <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but yes, it can be so paralyzing, you know, because we're trying to make the right decision because we think that it affects a lot more than it does. Now, we should use our reason, our senses, all those first article gifts that God gives us. Right. We should use right discernment and picking godly spouses and and making good decisions on where we receive our education based on what will be taught to us there. What we might be indoctrinated in and we should make you know good godly wise decisions but we also recognize that we have the christian freedom in these decisions uh to to make them and and in our current emotive culture that we just uh, are so emotional about stuff then it goes down to another level did i feel right when i said those words was my heart in the right place you know or do i feel good and so like you end up adding all this man-made law on top of everything you know which gets back to the repentance stuff did i feel bad enough was i at peace when i made that decision yeah exactly am i at peace with it right yeah and i mean to bring more point to this you know and i've seen this in my pastoral counseling as well i'm sure uh you know the other pastors here have seen it too or maybe even layman slayton with his friends and so forth like that too but it shows up you know when when people are looking at a divorce or any other kind of thing right that they might be talking in these ways of i feel like god is leading me towards this decision because it was such a poor decision that i made here and it's like well would god lead you to an evil decision but when you are beginning with this whole preconceived manichaean idea and again they they don't know the terms they're not calling it this but when you have that manichaean idea and so forth of you know that god is guiding me in every decision and so forth um then then it leads to these sorts of issues where you're saying, you know, well, you know, I know that it's wrong, but at the same time, I feel like God's leading me towards this decision. Mm-hmm. So what do you I, think? I want to throw kind of a little bit of a monkey wrench in here, and it's going to sound like I'm contradicting what I just said about trust. <laughs> but this whole idea that as humans that we we hold on very hard, whether you're an American or not, Americans, I think, because of what I said at the beginning, have a harder time with this. But we hold on very tightly to this idea of, of free will. We want, uh, if we're talking as a Lutheran, we want our Christian freedom. We want to hold on to it. We want to be able to have these decisions. But when you look at how Jesus prayed, he said explicitly, not my will, but your will. When he taught us how to pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my question for you pastors is, why are we even trying so hard to hold on to this idea that I can choose when Christ seems to say, look, why are you focusing on your will? He didn't even focus on his will. He said, it's not about my will. It's about God's will. I think that part of that comes from our sinful nature, our sinful nature that wants to control everything. Just like Eve was in the garden and she was being tempted by Satan uh, in the form of a serpent, and she looked at the fruit and she saw that it was appealing to the eye and good for food, and so she took matters into her own hand. She made a decision that was contrary to the Word of God, and that 
harmed her salvation. At that point, she couldn't do anything to choose God, but she could choose to neglect the gifts of God, to neglect the Word of God, and she did. And ever since, that is what the sinful nature does, is when when we have a choice, we choose away from God. We, we don't choose toward God, but always away from Him. The good news is that our focus doesn't rest on our choices or our decisions. It's not on our outward acts or what we can do that establishes our place before God. It is the work of Jesus, who was lifted up like a serpent on a cross and suffered and died and rose again so that he can say, I am the true bread of life, whoever receives me is the one who will live forever and I will raise him up on the last day. He undoes the sin of Eve and my sins on the cross as his work for me. Understanding our catechism and its simple, beautiful teaching also really helps us answer this. Because again, this is in all of Luther's writings. He's always operating with these sorts of things. But in that third petition, thy will be done, what is it that we're praying? You know, here I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, God's will is done anyway, even without our prayer. Yeah. Right? But our prayer is that it would be done among us, right? And then, you know, how is that will done? Right. It is done when God breaks and hinders every evil plan of the devil, the world and our sinful nature. Right. And so, I mean, God is doing the work. His will will be done. Right. It, it is an authoritative will. And our prayer is, is that we would make wise, godly decisions in the realms of areas where we do have free will to, to live according to that will. All right. Uh, and so it does still distinguish between the vertical matters and the earthly matters uh, in, in terms of those two, two realms. Which going I think on gets to my question that if we're living according to God's will, free will isn't necessarily the word I want to be looking for. As, as, I'm, as I'm seeking to live according to God's will, it, it's almost like the, the category of free will is a hindrance to me and thinking through okay, how, how do I actually do this? Well, and it, it seems like, especially as we talked about at the beginning, being in an American culture that's all about freedom and stuff, it makes it even tougher to be a Christian and acknowledge that, well, or it makes it even more countercultural, you know, to suggest it's not about what I want. It's about God's will. What is his will? Love God and love others. Well, how do I do that most faithfully? Rather than being, as you say, all about oh, so what do I get to do and how do I get to do it? And, you know, and, and getting so sidetracked by all of that, it ends up being more of the question of what is this supposed to be according to God's will and, and not some not some hidden Gnostic idea of you got to pray and yeah. hear God's voice or something like that, but this idea that, well, I have to study scripture and I, I, I look to see how I most faithfully love and care for others. Around and, and even as you say that, my background says, oh, so we're, I guess we are just Manichaeans then. Like that's that's the hard thing when you come from that background where there's only those two options. Even as you say, well, mm -hmm. it's all about God's will. As I say it, I, I readily recognize there are people who are listening to this who will be saying, well, that's not anything different than those other two views. You're just kind of moving the goalposts a little bit here and maybe sounding a little bit more pious in how you talk about it. Be because I've... <laughs> I mean, that's that's the position we find ourselves in. Maybe that's just part of the tension. In in a black and white world, we are talking in in full color. 
which is kind of a different, instead of being either Manichaean or Pelagian, we're saying, no, no, there's all kinds of shades and hues here. And one of those important shades and hues is this idea of from above and from below. And we have the free will and things that are below us. But when it comes to our salvation, to that which is above us, to that which cannot be controlled by our actions or our reason, then we don't have free will. Yeah, and I mean, one of the struggles, you know, you mentioned now again the the American idea of freedom, and and you know maybe the temptation is just kind of put off this this category of talking about free will because of the misunderstanding of our American context. But this is where again I think the problem is more our American context not understanding even the words that they use because yeah. okay, American, do you have the freedom to drive down the other side of the road? Nope. No. Why? <laughs> there are because laws. there's the authority of the law, yep. right? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, so we, we we have to we have to submit to higher authority, right? And and so this does play into you know how we even understand the freedom of the will that we do have in terms of earthly realm matters, right? Is that it's still in submission to the law. Right. And then ultimately, when it even understands the vertical relationship, there it's submission to the law, too, that is entirely crushing. Right. And and here, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, they all talk in the same way. We're all dead in our trespasses in terms of that vertical relationship. So that's that's where you stand under that authority. Right. And so, you know, that, that's, you know, kind of if you want to say there's a freedom there there there's the freedom to be dead (laughs) so so that's that's what you got going on there that that's the the hurdle you're trying to overcome well how are you going to raise yourself up again is it really by your works i don't think it's going to be enough you're dead buddy you can't do anything and so it's got to be on the works of someone who can raise from the dead that makes me think of that old pizza commercial where you get free cheesy bread and the little girls outside going Go cheesy bread, you're free. Run cheesy bread, you know. Like there's there's nothing that cheesy bread's gonna do, you know. As us and our dead dead in our trespasses and sin, there's nothing we're gonna do. It's only in God's will working through us. That is a and, fantastic and news commercial break, analogy. And on our news break for the day, there has been a train that is derailed right here in St. Louis, Missouri. All no, right. no, that analogy totally works, especially in our American context. I like it. The misuse of the word free. Yes. Yep, and how we misunderstand it. I like it. Okay. Excellent. All right. Leave it to merit. All right. Uh, with just a couple minutes left, I can left, make though, a Veggie Tales analogy. Let's not. Um, uh, with just a couple minutes left, though, I do want to read one more paragraph. Paragraph seventy-two. Uh, and it's not enough time to really talk about it, but we we do want to lay this out too. Is kind of the book end it. So continue on. But it is false to say whoever performs the works of the commandments without grace does not sin. The adversaries add further that such works also merit the forgiveness of sins and justification and merely in agreeable way de congruo this is the thing pastor ill likes to talk about all the time with his latin there uh, just one second before i let you have it for without the holy spirit human hearts lack the fear of god without trust towards god they do not believe that they are heard forgiven helped and preserved by god therefore they are godless for a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit matthew seven eighteen. without faith it is impossible to please god hebrews eleven six. so this is our exception all over again uh, that they say that your works can be congruent with uh, with the faith, even though you don't have faith. And that's exactly where we say, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, but you've gone too far. Um, and we say, 
a good a bad tree cannot bear good fruit and that's that's how it is and so while your actions your outward actions appear good they're done without faith and they have no bearing before god they have no bearing on things that are above uh, the roman catholics say well it's the fruit of faith that you don't express and we say no no i'm afraid we can't go there uh we simply say where is your trust where is your trust exactly so faith is what makes the difference where we find that faith strengthened exactly well, say it. Oh, we find that faith strengthened in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do just that. We look to him, we believe in him, and we keep confessing, church. Until next time. <laughs>